The human mind is a magical thing. Humans progress due to their constant reason to ask questions. Why, what, how, and when. However, the two most important questions asked always seem to be, can we do it and how can we monetize it? But a question seldom asked is, should we do it? No matter the answer, life finds a way. I'm James Hockenjoes, and this is The Rewind. Hey guys, this is Jimmy, and you're listening to The Rewind, presented by House of Habits Podcast Network. Your scientists are so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they just don't think they should. Never tell me the odds. The Rewind. The Rewind. The Rewind. All right, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Rewind. Uh, Gage is out currently. He's doing a little tour with Barstool Sports. He was at the Indy 500 last week. So we have my good friend, one of my very good friends, Mr. Christopher Johansson, filling in. What's up? So I'm going to get out ahead of this one right away, the nickname thing, because it's not going to get avoided. Chris's first big job when he was younger, Pizza Man. Pizza men wear all white outfits. He's about 6'2", 250. Guy looks at him, says, you're big, you're white, you're big whitey. So his name is Big Whitey. I'm big and soft and delicious like a loaf of Wonder Bread. And so he calls me white bread. So you're going to hear Big Whitey white bread a lot over the course of the next 90 minutes. That's what that's all about. The people who listen to the show, Chris, they already know Emily has her background in screenwriting. Gage has a general film degree. Other than being a general encyclopedia of all things film up to the year 2000, do you have any like schooling on it? No, right? No, I do. I, uh, I took uh, a few of the introductory courses at Suffolk. I took like a editing course and I took an intro to film course and uh, a whole lot of like, I took a documentary course. So a bunch of different film courses. Uh, I've basically seen I don't know, thousands upon thousands of movies. You know, I grew up in the video store generation, so I've seen everything. You know, now with streaming, you see even more. It's like, it's pretty amazing. It's actually crazy spoiler alert for a few episodes down the line. We texted my little brother, Jack, who was 19, going on 20. Oh. Said, what's your favorite movie? We're going to have you on. No Star Wars. What's your favorite movie? This motherfucker looks at me and goes, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction? I'm like, yeah, Pulp we were Fiction. I'm like, I didn't, I was like, I don't even think I've seen Pulp Fiction in like 10 years. Good on him, man. That's a... Yeah, last time I saw Pulp Fiction real, was definitely, definitely for real college. Real curveball from Jack. But today we're we're doing Jurassic Park, the second best thing to come out of the summer in 1993. <laughs> uh, every time we've talked about Jurassic Park in the past, you and I, you say it every time. That's just, five, five short weeks after its release, your boy was born. I know. It's a good day, man. So this is one of these movies for me, I can't remember the first time I've seen it because it's before I have a memory. Wow. As long as I could remember Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park, Star Wars, The Mighty Ducks are at least the three yeah. that I've seen since I can't even remember the first time I saw any of them. Well, those are like three classics. I mean, you know, Mighty Ducks was like when I was a kid, Mighty Ducks was huge. Like everybody started playing hockey because of Mighty Ducks. Now, Star Wars was Star Wars. And, you know, this one is no. Uh, I watched it last night and I, I feel like it's it's like a universally well-liked film, you know, and it's just generational. You know, it starts like I saw it in the theater and from the time I saw it in the theater till now, it's just like, it's grown in popularity. It's, it's, 
it's amazing. So it's 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 a it's a movie like I feel like like a Back to the Future or something like that that everybody in their house has is Jurassic Park. So it's like, of course, like it's you know it's ingrained in in pop culture now. You know, for, oh for sure, even to the point now where. It- Shout out our guy in Center Reach. We've no idea who this guy is, but he's been driving the Jurassic oh, Park yes. Wrangler I've seen in it, like this in like the Center Reach St. James area of Long Island. If there's if you ever hear this dude, shout out to you. He's been driving that Jurassic. He got that thing fixed. It was like beat up and off the road, and then all of a sudden, a couple months later, brand new again. Yeah, I think it's nice. I've is seen it, it still around? Yeah, that guy and the Ghostbusters guy. I, I still see him. So there is another one years ago that my friend had. And he built it out and to be the Jurassic Park. It broke down like a couple of years back. The Explorer but, or the Jeep? No, he had the Explorer. Oh, wow. Yeah. He had the, he built it. Cause it, we, he bought it from one of our friends who was like getting a new car. And then it was like, I'm buying that to do that. He literally painted it everything. And then when it broke down, it was like the saddest day. <laughs> I'm pretty sure when the sequels came out, they did like a Jurassic World Renegade. Pretty sure Jeep did it. Probably. I think I think uh, Lost World had the uh, the partnership with Mercedes because a lot of the vehicles like the the double like the double decker RV or whatever you want to call the it. Lost like, World or the or Jurassic World. I'm talking the about Lo- the, the Chris Pratt sequels. Oh yeah, you're right. You're the Chris right, Pratt right, movies. Right. The, the Jeep, I thought, I thought Jeep did Lost a Renegade World. when those no like five years ago or whatever yeah, yeah, when yeah. the first one came out. Jeep yeah. did a I'm you know I'm sure it was fifty five grand or whatever. Right, right, but right. as all Jeeps are. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm pretty much like you. Like, I don't even remember the first time I ever saw this movie. It's just been one of those films that I grew up loving. Um, I was a massive dinosaur kid. Like, I just loved dinosaurs and stuff like that. So, and I know my brothers were big into this movie, too. And then just being, like, a film person, like, this is one of the top action films, honestly. Like, this is, like, this is a big deal for CGI and stuff like that because it, it was really the first time it was... Not that it was done well, because I mean, we look back at it now and it's like, wow, it's a little janky there and stuff I, like that. I know you said it yesterday. I we'll get to it later. But um, for its time, it was such a big deal. I mean, that's why Lucas turned around and was like, okay, it's time for prequels now. And prequels end up coming out in 99. So I, I think as a filmmaker, I held it at such a regard because of just its accomplishments. And then being, I really do think it's one of Spielberg's, uh, Spielberg's best films. I think it's... Really, I don't know why out of all his films, I just hold it at maybe it's a nostalgia thing, but I just really think it's so well done in so many aspects. And I think the way they handle the science of it, too, it's not overbearing where people are not going to understand it. It's done in a way that you do understand it. And if you do understand science, I think you geek out a little more because of the way that you have like Grant and Ellie and Malcolm handle these science things with these little quips and these little sentences and here and there that just drop knowledge for you. And the more you watch, the more I think you understand really what they're talking about in the grand scheme of things. And And the science isn't super pivotal. No. Much like um, the movie Chronicle. Michael B. Mm-hmm. Jordan and Dane DeHaan and I forget the other guy. The three of these kids get superpowers and a big problem is like, well, how did they get it? Mm-hmm. And the director said years later, the movie's not about that. The thing is, we're here now and now you got to deal with it. And that's kind of like with Jurassic Park. The science isn't super pivotal. What's pivotal is the worst case scenario has happened mm-hmm. and now we need to address the situation going forward. And a lot of people are going to die in the process. Yeah, but I, do, I do think though, like unlike... But that one is you don't really get any explanation with this. They give you enough of an explanation where you're not questioning it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's the difference for sure. But I, I just don't like. It's not the sciencey aspect of the movie is has wasn't made to be super pivotal. Oh yeah. And that's 
honestly probably part of the reason that it appeals to kids six all the way up through adulthood. Yeah, I agree with you with that, yeah. But um, any other thoughts on the beginning? Well, we're going to score it. So we, we do the score similar to the Barstool Pizza Review. So decimals one to ten. Okay. I'm going to give Jurassic Park... Hmm. I mean, it has a few problems, but not many. The runtime, a big thing for me on this show is runtime. Okay. Not necessarily runtime, but like how it feels, you know? Because some, some movies like not Endgame Infinity War is a th- over three hours long, but I think it doesn't really feel super long. Sure. So this movie's right around the two hour mark. Uh, yeah, runtime is it's paced, two hours, seven minutes. It's paced well. Yeah. You're never looking down at the clock or looking down at your phone. I'm going to go 9-1. All right. I was going to go 9-3. So we're right around the same. For me, uh, I think it's a solid 9-5. Like I said, this uh, this is like a, a, not just for me, but for generations. I think this is like a very culturally important movie because at the time this movie came out, it was such a juggernaut. I mean, it, it's the first movie to ever gross right around a billion dollars. The total gross on the movie was nine, $912 million, yeah. which is amazing. Well, I mean, it's worldwide, That's worldwide gross. Yeah. And when you think about it, uh, the, the, the benchmark now is a billion. And this movie reached that way before that was even the benchmark. Like if you grossed $300 million, that movie was a, was a big deal. And this one did $900 million worldwide. And that's when ticket prices were $4.14 was the average ticket price. And now the average ticket price is like nine dollars. So it's, it's yeah, it's even higher than that. It's so like twelve. It, yeah. So it's like you're selling that many tickets to go see this movie. It was gigantic. And I remember just it was everybody loved it going to school. It was like nine, you know, that was like one of the best movies you ever saw. It instant classic and everybody's top ten. So for me it's nine point five. That's fair. I like that. Yeah. Um we're gonna take a break. Uh we could take a break or I could go through the um facts. Nah, let's take a break. I'm feeling All right, let's take a quick break. All right, what's up, guys? As everyone knows, this season we are on YouTube. Last season we weren't, and I got to be honest with you, we kind of, we were dressing like shit a little bit, you know? We weren't worried about what people saw. We were wearing pajamas. We had Anthony coming in wearing whatever sweats he wore to work that day. Half the time I'd roll out of bed and show up to the studio. But now the people are going to see us, and we got to look fresh. We want that fine Italian fucking material. That's right. We're talking Saatchi Di Denaro, streetwear brand from Long Island, New York. The gear is fire. It looks good. Right now, I got the M5 Motivated Money Making Monday Morning hoodie on, okay? You're going to be able to get this and so much more at SaatchiDiDenaro.com. Promo code HAVOC is going to save you 10% off. That's S-A-C-C-H-I-D-I-D-E-N-A-R-O.com. H-A-V-O-C, promo code HAVOC, gets you 10% off. Always authentic, never counterfeit. Sachi Di Dinero. All right, guys, and we're back, and I'm going to go over some of like the facts and just general knowledge of the film. So as we know, the director was Steven Spielberg. The writer was Michael... I don't even know how to pronounce Crichton. it. Michael Crichton. Crichton. Michael Crichton and David Cope. Um, and the David Cope. Bo- Co-op. Yeah, something like that. I'm the worst person with names. I remember faces. I remember, like, your your aura, but I will never remember your name unless, like, we speak on a regular. I see you regularly enough. I'm the worst. Um, and then the book is, was written by Michael 
Crichton. Crichton too. And then cinematography was Dean Cundy. Uh, Editor was Michael Kahn. Cast Sam Neill as Dr. Alan Grant. Laura Dern as Ellie Sattler. Jeff Goldblum as Ian Malcolm. Sir Richard Attenborough as John Hammond. Bob Peck as Maldon. Muldoon. Muldoon. Uh, where am I? Martin Ferrero as Gennaro. Gennaro, yep. Uh, BD1 as Henry Wu. Joseph Malazzo as Tim, Ariana Richards as Lex, Samuel Jackson as Arnold, and Wayne Knight as Nedry. So runtime was 127 minutes or two hours and seven minutes, rated PG-13. The shooting locations were California and Hawaii, release date June 11th, 1993. Budget was about $63 million. Um, we said the worldwide gross is $1 billion and um, the box office was about $47 million. Uh, camera was Panavision, and the awards that it won, the Oscars, was Best Sound Effect, Best Sound, and Best Visual, and it actually was against Schindler's List for Best Sound, and it beat out Schindler's List. They were both within the same Oscar year. Um, during this, uh, Spielberg was filming Schindler's List during post, so they actually had a teleconference and everything like that. He was FaceTiming with them every day. This is 93, so this is actually 92 even. So before even FaceTime was a big deal. So it cost them so much money just for the post-production because of that. Um, it actually stayed on budget completely, and Spielberg was very happy because they stayed on budget and they wrapped 12 weeks early on uh, production. And that was also dealing with Hurricane and Nikki, which uh, wiped out, um, where were they? They were in Kauai. 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 So they were filming on Kauai for most of the film, and then when Hurricane and Nikki was coming in, they were in the hotel, they had to go to the hotel ballroom and hang out there. And actually, Sir uh, Richard Amber slept through the whole thing. And when he woke up and came downstairs and was like, what was going on when the people asked him, he was like, I slept through the, the blitz. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. And so what happened was Kathleen Kennedy, after the hurricane, she ran on a run to go see if they get any phones or anything like that. And she ran to the airport, which was completely destroyed. There's palm trees and everything in it. So she hopped in on a ride with the Salvation Army to, I'm not sure which island it was, one of the main islands, one of the big ones. I think it was, I don't know, it doesn't matter. But she hopped on that island and got on a payphone and coordinated the entire crew, cast everything, going back to California, and they were shooting within a week back in California. Um, and they stayed on time and budget, which I thought was pretty cool. So uh, because of this, this, the study of paleontology increased. Uh, the rain would cause the T-Rex to malfunction, and I actually have a note. I actually put it in my notes. Producer Kathleen Kennedy recalls the T-Rex went into the heebie-jeebies sometimes, scared the crap out of us. We'd be, like, eating lunch, and all of a sudden, a T-Rex would come alive. At first, we didn't know what was happening, and then we realized it was the rain. You'd hear people start screaming. So I just thought that was, like, the funniest thing to me. Um, the T-Rex roars were dog, penguin, tiger, alligator, and elephant. There was also like the bronchiosaurus. They were, re uh, recordings of dolphins in labor underwater. And that was some of the sounds like they mixed all these that different. Makes sense. Yeah. And actually when I read that and was rewatching it, I could hear it. <laughs> like I could hear like the muffled sound of water. Um, Hammond was supposed to be like a dark Walt Disney, which I feel like we kind of get. Um, so Critton got $2 million for the rights before the book was even published. And him and Spielberg met about 20 years earlier when Spielberg was forced to give him a tour of the lot, uh, the Warner Bros. lot, or uh, Universal lot, sorry. 
the novel explains why the animals were sick, which was due to the berries that they were eating. And then there was something about, I never read the book, so this is all like notes I found, but there was something about they were eating rocks to di- help digest and then the rocks would grind down and smooth down. And that's when they were getting sick was because of, I don't know if the rocks were passing or what, but that's why they were sick which is not really explained in the movie. It is kind of hinted at the berries, but not really explained. Um, the Mr. DNA, all that part was just completely exposition. That was the only, like, that's the way they handled the book, all the exposition in the book into the movie. They said only about 20% of the book is actually in the movie in comparison to that. But I think a lot of the book is probably science too. There's probably a lot more science within the book and stuff. I, have you ever read it? Uh, I read it years ago. Uh, you know, in school you had to pick a book and that was one of the ones I picked and, Kind of skimmed it and you know failed on the test because I put all the movie answers as opposed to the book answers. So wasn't a lot of the movie in the book. Didn't really read the whole thing. Yeah, no, they said that. Um, it was boring. I remember it was very boring. I believe that. I mean, I, it's that. This is a very scientific it's a dry book. subject. Paleontology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember like the beginning of it was like a lot of digging in the desert, like a lot of like explanation of digging and like that scene is cool in the beginning. When they have the when they're shooting the the ultrasound down to see the dinosaur bones, but in the book it's like the explanation of it's very boring. I believe that's probably like four pages of explanation yes, for a exactly. five minute scene. Um, let me see. Uh, the the critics loved the special effects, but they felt the characters fell short. That was what majority of critics were saying was like it was a great movie, it was stunning to watch, but the characters kind of you know you were left wanting, which, I mean, I could understand, but I don't disagree. I disagree with that. Disagree, sir. Yeah. I disagree. I think a lot of the character work in this movie is amazing. Obviously, Goldblum is amazing. The kids, eh. The kids kind of annoy me, but that's kind of the point, no? Yes. Yes. So, A-plus on both of that, because they annoyed the shit out of me last night. Um, What's his name? The... Alan? He's fixing a divot. The guy who's stealing all of the Wayne Knight. Oh, Nedry. Oh, Nedry. Nedry. Wayne Knight. Great. He's great. His character, he's not in it that much. I love Sam Jackson's character. And my, one of my favorite parts about Sam Jackson's character, because you're never going to see it again. He's never on screen without a fucking cigarette yeah. in his mouth. Ripping darts the whole movie. But that, if you if you look at any movie pre-95, like Everybody smokes cigarettes. Oh, yeah. And the, yeah. the hum- Humphrey Bogart, who's considered widely considered one of the greatest actors of all time, smoked so many cigarettes that he died at, I think, like 46 years old of lung cancer. Because he legitimately, every scene you mm-hmm. ever saw him in, in every movie he was ever in, had, it was a cigarette in his hand. Like, I, w- I would love to know how many boxes of cigarettes they went through in Casablanca. Oh, it's It's got Because between her, uh, him, her, and then the, all the other cast members, they all were smoking in that. I, I grew up, I was like the last generation that were able, they were able to smoke cigarettes on an airplane. You would literally get on an airplane and the whole cabin was filled with cigarette smoke. It was unreal. I like, we caught the tail end of like, I remember, I don't think I've ever been in a movie theater where they smoked. Mm-hmm. But I've been in plenty of restaurants mm-hmm. in my youth that had smoking, non-smoking sections. Yep. And even though my parents smoked, we never went to a restaurant and sat in a smoking section ever. Oh, we always did. I don't think we yeah, ever my, did. My parents smoked, so we always sat yeah, in Yeah, we always section. did. And it's like, here, let's bring the kids over to the smoking yeah. section. Blow some cigarettes With in our face. food. Good for you. <laughs> well, it's even, even the, uh, you know, again, you watch anything that's that's dated like this. There's certain, you know, now it's funny. I was I put on something on Disney the other day and on the Disney Network, and uh, it said OC or something like that. And it was like cultural 
uh, I forget what they, the, the word they use for, but they now have to put that on these movies if like the society is different now than it was then. Like then it was acceptable for people to smoke cigarettes, you know, and, and there's just things in this movie and every movie you see old, older movies. It's just not, not well, prevalent even, now. Like even now, if you do something and it's a period piece, like this recently became an issue with Stranger Things with Netflix because Stranger Things takes place in the 80s and the guys are smoking cigarettes right. and Netflix wanted- And he's a sheriff nonetheless. Yeah, right. and, and Netflix wanted to stop it. Didn't, he, didn't they not have cigarettes in the third season? Probably. Or no. did they make them put- they made them No, put this was point? after the most recent season. It was after the third because season. Because of how much he was but, smoking and then his character development was not great either. He was like kind of becoming like a- uh, nasty character in a way like very um um sexist and very like toxic masculinity like that's kind of this character was kind of becoming so i think between that and the cigarette smoking that's why it got all this heat because they turn around and was like oh we're not going to allow any cigarette smoking unless it's a period piece. they did say unless it's a period piece and i lost my mind me and my friend all our my filmmaking friends were on the phone going well, Netflix is out. If Netflix ever comes calling, I'm not working for them because I don't have to sit here and explain why I have a character who is smoking in a 2001 or 2021 script because it's a it's actually a character trait now. If you see someone smoking, that's instantly a negative character trait on them based in society now. Now, if you have a film that's in 1920, well, that's just everyone smoked so they turned around i guess they got so much backlash they turned around and said they're going to rate it differently anything that has smoking is going to be rated differently people people need to understand like we like my my, my generation grew up with all that you know what i mean like it was james dean was so cool because he used to roll the pack of cigarettes up in his sleeve you know what i mean it's just now people get a little too upset about it i understand that you want to be pc and everything else but if you're portraying a character from that time period then that character needs to portray the characteristics of someone from that time period. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you don't get the feel of that, what, what you're trying to convey on screen, so. Dude, when my parents were in high school, you could go outside to the patio and smoke a cigarette between classes yeah. in school. Yeah, my mom. mom started smoking at 12 right. in, in New York City, and you could go outside in high, at 14 years old and smoke a cigarette on the it, patio. It's, it's just, it was normal. And my now mom, it's not normal, and that's what the issue Yeah, was. my mom graduated in 87, and they had a smoking shed. No. It still, it was still existed when I went to high school. It just wasn't the smoking shed anymore. It was right. a sport. It was a sports physical shed, you know. But that, yeah. So it's like, I, I think it's just depending on. It depends on how it's handled in a script. You know, if it's being handled right, it's being like, if it's within a period or what. I honestly, I don't even think it has to be explained. Why do you have to explain why someone's smoking? Well, like Sam Jackson's character it makes perfect sense that he's chain smoking because he's under immense pressure because there's so much money riding on this park. So why wouldn't he be continuously yeah. like, oh my God, yeah. look what this fat fuck over here is doing. He's fucking everything up. Oh, I got And he's no, also I mean, kind of got the, like the quiet character development of like, kind of get the sense from the beginning that he always knew this wasn't a good idea. And now he's seeing his worst nightmare come to fruition and there's nothing he can do about it because fucking Wayne Knight shut everything down. Well, you have, you have like the, the difference between, there's like the, the, you know, like Muldoon is also in falls in that category. Like, listen, this is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. Like, even when they first come up to the raptor paddock, Muldoon is the banker or the no, no, no. he's the, the he's the uh, hunter. The hunter. He's the, like the, the Chris Pratt. Yeah. He's yeah. The yeah. Raptor yeah, he's like the uh, he's like the Chris Pratt of this film. Yeah, no, I got yeah. you. He would call. He would be at the zoo. He'd be like the head gamesman or something like that. So yeah. he'd be in charge of all the big the big game. So there's a scene when they're on the paddock. It's Ellie and Muldoon. Uh, Ellie, Sat, um, Grant, uh, Malcolm. Uh, the lawyer Gennaro and uh, Hammond. Hammond. 
And Muldoon comes up and the first thing he says, they should all be killed. Because mm-hmm. he knows at that point, like, this is a big fucking mistake. Like, you got these animals that are, like, they're killing machines. Like, that's what a, ra- a velociraptor is. And he conveys that in that scene to these characters. And, like, that's great characterization. So, like, to, for the, the critics to say, like, oh, they didn't really develop the characters. Well. Like, you get a really good sense of how Grant is the whole movie. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he doesn't like kids and he's like a gruff you know, down in the dirt kind of guy. I mean, so you 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 see all these characters develop, and for the critics to say that they're ridiculous. I think you even see with Hammond. I you yeah. see his his rise and fall, and that that very last shot when he's standing there just staring out at the um you know his his lost fortune in a way, and the disappointment you see of like he. Even the story about the fleas, where he's like, oh, I started and I had the flea circus and it was, you know, whatever, it was sea salt or whatever. So that scene is so much deeper than it seems on the surface because it's essentially him saying that he made himself as a fraud and he wants to remake himself as not a fraud. And like, I want to do something real for once because I've been a fucking fake my whole Mm -hmm. life. And he doesn't turn. Until the one scene at the end after the T-Rex kills the raptors and uh, Dr. Allen comes back and says, uh, Mr. Hammond, I cannot endorse your park. And then what does he say? I was thinking the same he thing. He's like, a- like, after today, I feel the same way. Yeah. yeah. So, but that's the that, that's the minute when he turns. Because yes. even uh, the next time, the scene you see him in before that is when he's still trying to come up with a plan for how are we going to turn this thing around. Well, that's why Ellie turns around to him and she was he was like, oh, she's like, it's always been an illusion. She's like, I was, you know, struck by this place too. And, and you know, we're dealing with nature and you can't control nature. You can't control a T-Rex. Like, no matter how much you think you can or how smart you think you are, I like Malcolm says that Mother Nature selected them for extinction for a reason. Like, and then we came, you know? So it's not like we were... We got rid of them because we're we're human and we just destroy everything we see. But you know, like so, it's it's that that. Thought. I wanted to bring this up what we what we were talking about last night to see if Chris knew this. Um, in the beginning, when they're landing on the helicopter and he's fucking around with the seatbelt mm-hmm. and then he ties it. This Emily said this last night. I never thought about it. That's supposed to be foreshadowing for life finding a way. Yeah. You knew that. Yep. I never knew that until she said it last night. Yeah. So that, I mean, like there's a lot of that throughout the film, but um, I'll just keep going through the notes. Harrison Ford was originally offered to play Alan Grant. And after seeing the movie, he stood by his decision to turn it down because he didn't want to get typecasted into this Harrison, um, Harrison, this Indiana Jones type feel. And he also felt that in taking the role, it would be compared to Indiana Jones. And after he saw it, he said he was happy he did it because it shouldn't have never been compared to Indiana Jones. He, he's not right for that role anyway. I think I think uh, Sam Neill was a perfect choice for that role. I agree. There was only one scene where I, like, one shot that I went, it's a kind of a classic Spielberg shot, though. It's not necessarily that, but it was so Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones to me. I was like, oh, that's the only scene I could ever see Harrison Ford in it. But other than, any than that, I don't think I would have recasted anyone in this. I really do think the casting is pretty spot on. I think Laura Dern is fantastic in this um, and stuff like that. But uh, what scene is it that when you when you uh, is it the one where he's like Ian Freeze when they're in the T-Rex scene when the camera zooms in? No, space. no, actually, it's way earlier than that. It's one of the first scenes when they see the dinosaurs. Oh, okay. It's, you know what it is? It's when he finds out they have uh, velociraptors. Yes. Okay. It's that scene where he, that turn look, like, yeah. that is classic Indiana yeah. Jones. <laughs> like, I've, I, that, 
that image I just will always know. But um, uh, the writer said that it never occurred to him that he had Cretaceous dinosaurs on the cover in a, the title being Jurassic. It should have been Jurassic. He's like, I just thought aesthetically they looked the best. Uh, Goldblum and Dern began a relationship after this and eventually got engaged, but that got broken off. Uh, we're... They were not, were actually not far off from dino cloning. As of 2005, we were able to get uh, red blood cells from bone. And they say that the mosquito theory will never work. It actually, I think it was like, it was a crazy amount of time, but it, it just disintegrates after a while, the blood in the, um, the mosquitoes yeah. body. So it just would never work that way. But they aren't far off from it because they are being able to find DNA red blood cells. So that's kind of... Um, Scary, I guess. Um, they had to show Spielberg that the special effects would work before he agreed to that because he was trying to do everything practical because that's what they were used to. So majority of the, like, obviously big herds and stuff like that were done in CGI. And some of the T-Rex scenes was done in CGI because he they kept freezing and he wasn't moving fast and stuff like that. So all that stuff. But a lot of, like, the raptors and stuff were actually people in costumes and stuff working around and stuff they assembled the all-star team of special effects people to do this movie oh yeah so stan winston did all the practical effects and stan winston has created uh the queen alien the endoskeleton for the endoskeleton for the terminator um the predator uh there's a horror movie called Pumpkinhead. if you ever see the puppet for Pumpkinhead, it's yeah. unreal i mean he just uh he created like very a ton of iconic things so he was asked to do all the animatronics and all the uh practical effects and then dennis murin and phil tippett uh both of those guys work they work for lucasfilm and they worked on both all the star wars movies and um plenty of other like you know indiana jones and other famous you know i think they did some work on back to the future and they they were the ones who kind of uh revolutionized that computer the computer uh what's it called the uh cgi because like a lot of that is seamless in that movie where it goes from i feel seamless because you look at that for the time, that was 1993. This isn't like 19, like you look at some of the special effects from 1999 and what they did from 1993. Now, of course, none of it's perfect, but for the time period, that was like phenomenal special effects. Oh, yeah. For the time period, incredible. Still not bad. One scene in particular when they're first pulling up in the Jeep and they see the Brachiosaurus, yeah. the couple of them, and it's the landscape shot. Mm -hmm. With him and Ellie and whoever else standing there. Huh? I think Malcolm was there too. Malcolm might have been standing. No, that's when he's standing out of the Jeep still, right? He's standing up in the Jeep still, okay. I thought. That big landscape shot is janky as hell looking. Yes. That like that shot is janky because you can clearly see like the CGI line around yeah. Alan Grant, Alan's body. Yeah. But then again, oh, 1993. Like, no, for the time. Experimenting with like the green screen and everything else. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just what you look at any other movie from that time period and nothing was close. You know, like that scene when when they're in the field with the Gallimimus is just it's phenomenal with them flying by him. And then the way they had the they were hiding behind that giant tree branch and they, and they were jumping on it. <laughs> so Emily was telling me when it's for the the CGI artists to figure out how they would run. They had a bunch of people dressed up. No, in no, no, it wasn't that they had the supervisor had the digital artists get into a group yeah. and run like like they were in a herd and they said they had to pull their arms back and run and they just mm -hmm. did it multiple times and i 
couldn't stop laughing because I just thought in my head, imagine going to work that morning, like, okay, we're working on this film. And it's like, all right, we're going to need you all to run. And it's like, I'm a digital artist. I went to school for art, so I didn't have to run. Like, we didn't take gym in college. Just the idea of grown people running around like a like a herd of animals. Well, the problem is, is now every time I see that scene, that's all I see is just people running like this. I can't unsee it. <laughs> Um, but so John Williams did the score and he said he wanted it to feel like just an amazing, like he wanted the music to actually give you an emotional response to the film of that, like wonderment, you know, and feeling that way, which I think it really does. I think that when you hear that opening, you know, um, so on, it just, you, you really do feel what they're feeling. Iconic. It's just, you know. Yeah. It's the best word for iconic. Um, Ariana Richards audition just consisted of screaming. Um, just staring at the screen and just screaming multiple times. And they said she won out the role because uh, Spielberg's wife was sleeping in another room on the couch and she came ra- running in, checking on everyone because she thought someone was hurt. So she won that role. And originally Spielberg wanted, um, I can't remember her name, right? It slipped my mind, but someone else he worked with that he found out that year had uh, been murdered by her father. You might know. Oh. It's one of the young, the girl actresses in one of his films. He wanted her and then he oh, found out. The, the girl from Poltergeist possibly? No, it wasn't the girl from Poltergeist. So she, I know she died young, but I don't... I no, don't. but she wasn't murdered by her father. It was something else. He, it, I remember the movie and it stuck out to me and I just if, now it's completely... If you can so tell me mind. what the movie is, I, I can tell you who it was. Oh, one day I'll remember yeah. it and then we'll, we'll pull it up. But yeah, that that did happen. Um, that, that happened. Safety meeting on the T-Rex, which obviously the thing was finicky, so... Spielberg gave Raptor medals as gifts and apparently Goldblum and Dern, they all have them out and special and they're like one of their most prized possessions and stuff. Um, Cameron uh, wanted to direct this film, James Cameron, and he went to bed on it, but Universal had already bought it and attached Spielberg to it. And it also was due to Spielberg's relationship with the writer. Only 15 minutes of actual dinosaur footage which is like, I feel classic Spielberg. That's like the Jaws thing. Um, Spielberg would roar into a microphone during the takes to imitate the roars and all the actors said it was very difficult to be serious in those scenes and just deal with that because it sounded ridiculous. The hardest effect was with the water in the glass, that tapping. They said they had to attach guitar strings and actually play guitar under the table to get it to do that. BD Wan has less than two minutes screen time in the entire film. Uh, in comparison to the book, he's a lot more um, prominent. And when he auditioned, he auditioned with the book because the screen the screenplay wasn't finished. So he thought he was going to be much more prominent in it. Which is incredible because twenty five years later, they make him like a prominent bad guy in the in the Jurassic World sequel. He's like a prominent bad guy in yeah. Jurassic World too. Yeah, yep. I I think BD Wan is fantastic. He's incredible. He's got he is incredible two minutes of screen time and. Nails it. Like, he gives you that sassy scientist, like, yeah, okay, I, yeah. Like, he just, that that one face he gives them when it's like. Yeah, you didn't think of anything that we haven't already thought of. Yeah, he's just like, that face, Sir, I Sir, this is him. my job. I make a lot of money. That's the brilliance of Spielberg, though, is he'll take these minute characters that are in it so briefly, and he makes them so memorable. Even, like, the guy in the beginning, when the lawyer's going up to meet the, the dig, that the Hispanic digger, and that guy, just, like, his his minute and a half of screen time it's like oh you know who this guy is oh yeah definitely. like like dogson like the guy who goes to meet nedrick he's in it for a minute and like you get the feeling of like this guy's like a smarmy hey dodson yeah. hey dodson <laughs> we got dodson here look no one cares that line is like a cult line now too oh, yeah. that's that's been everywhere um 
Let's see. Uh, some of the dinosaurs are inaccurate for film purposes. Um, there was one dinosaur that was created for the film because they looked too much like raptors, so they changed them up. It ended up being that that dinosaur did come out existing. A couple years later, they found uh, evidence that that was actually a real and dinosaur. as we all know now, Triceratops never existed. Yep. Yeah. Which, what are you going to do? You know, is what it is. Uh, they delayed filming to get the cast they wanted. So Alan, Grant, and all them. They were, um, I know Sir Richard Appert was directing something because this was the first film he acted in like decades. And then I think Alan Grant, Sam Neill was doing something too, or maybe it was Laura Dern. But so they've delayed everything just to get the cast that they wanted. Uh, Laura Dern has real fear in some of the scenes, specifically in the one where she had to do the light switches yeah. because she didn't really know what was happening. It was so dark and the way they shot it, they just, it was completely real, real fear. This was Spielberg's most uh, commercially successful film of all time. As far as the notes, I I feel like that that might be wrong. I feel like something else might have came out, but well, I guess because of the the, the retail. Thing is, is he set he set. Jaws was the first summer blockbuster, and that movie made I think one hundred and ninety million dollars or something like yeah. that, which at the time was gigantic. Then Star Wars, then. Um, E.T. E.T. was also one of the highest grossing movies. And then I think Jurassic Park. So, I mean, he set, he set the record, I think, three or four separate times. Yeah, and then it was held until Titanic. And now it all and belongs then to Feige, boy. Yeah. <laughs> did it beat out Avatar? Yes. It yeah. did, right? Okay. Yeah, they re-released it in China or something, and it, it got the... Yep. Oh, let's see. That was the, number, just... the numbers are so skewed. Gone with the Wind still has the ticket sales, which that, that to me is the most impressive. Talk about a movie that does not really hold up. To oh that. man, I was oh, rewatching Jesus. that the other day. I was like, "Wow, this is a uh, this." I forgot how bad this is. Like, well, it's mm -hmm. it's it's a good movie. It's just you have to consider at the time. I mean, when they said, "When uh, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn," that was like the first curse word heard in, in movies. So yeah. it's it's a very important movie for a lot of different reasons. Obviously, very dated. 1939 or whatever it came out. I think one of the craziest things about that story, though, is um, oh gosh, like Hattie. May McCoy, Hattie Mayfield, McDaniel. McDaniel. thank you, Hattie McDaniel. Um, she wasn't allowed into the theater for the Oscars, and she was nominated. And what happened was, right before they were to announce that Oscar, once they found out she won, they snuck her in the back with her, uh, I think it was her assistant or something like that, so that she was there on camera for when she won. She went up to get her award, and then they escorted her out of the building. So that is something. Like, so as as yeah, Gone with the Wind holds such a regard, but I think we don't know enough of the history behind Gone with the Wind because it's it's pretty, it's sad. It's a little sad, but it was also that was Hollywood at the time. You know, that was completely Hollywood at the time and it doesn't make it acceptable, but it just was what it was, unfortunately. Again, just a, just a product of the time period. Yeah, completely, completely. Um, Before we move on, potentially stupid question. Um, Hammond, that's, yes. all, that's also Professor the Colonel from The Waterboy, correct? Same guy? Mm, I don't believe I don't so. think no. so. No, no, he wasn't in 93. He was not acting anymore. He was solely a director. So he came out of right. Like, but Waterboy is post 93. Yeah, I know, but I, I don't think he went back what? into acting. Waterboy's 98, I think. Yeah, but I don't think I'm saying I don't think he went back into acting. Okay. I just yeah. thought I just had like a brain fart there. I don't know. I, I saw an image in my head of him in Jurassic Park. And then I saw no Colonel Sanders. You're wrong. <laughs> just, just while we're on the subject of Hammond, I, I got an interesting question. Who? I, in my opinion, I feel Hammond is the heel of the movie. He's the bad guy of the entire movie. 
So, I agree. Um, and he is in the book. Yeah. Because in the book, it was just a big deal is Nedry actually has a, not that he has a redemption arc, but you feel bad for him because you find out all this information that he was working with Hammond and then Hammond shorted him on money. Like he didn't pay him what he was owed. And then he like left and Hammond destroyed his life. And that's why he's now stuck with him. And that's that whole back and forth between them. When I now watch that, knowing those facts, because I, I think I just have to read the book, but knowing those facts that Nedry actually was scorned by Hammond before this start of this. And that's why he went the route he did and and going this way. And all those little lines like, oh, more than Hammond ever paid me. And it's like, it makes a lot more sense. And it's not really uh, talked about in the movie because they felt that if they did show that, he's not really the bad guy anymore. And his death scene isn't as like- They uh, kind of do show him. Like, I think I'd argue that they do show enough, like with the the conversation he has with Dachshund in the beginning. And then just like the little comments that he makes when they're having the argument. He's like, yeah, thanks, dad, or whatever. Yeah, but it's a lot bigger than what it seems to be. That's fine. But I think that they enough is there for his intent on what he does. Because when you look at it, he's making the million and a half million. Something like that, yeah. Seven fifty when it's, I think it's now one point two. He gets like seven fifty now, seven fifty when you're done. So that's a, yeah. that's one and a half. I thought it was it was five hundred when he was done. Oh, like, what, I mean, whatever. It's, yeah, we're, yeah, it's over a million dollars to do the job. So he's get he's doing it to make the money because you never gave me the money. But I'm also because I like because he's felt underappreciated and overworked and doesn't get his due. I'm also going to spring a trap that I know nobody else here can fucking fix but me to prove my point twice. Yeah, but I, I think what the thing is, is that in the movie, you don't feel bad for him. He's a guy down on his no, luck. No, but I don't you're supposed to feel bad for him. In the movie. But they, in they the do book, just enough to make Hammond the bad guy. Right. Well, what I'm saying is in the book, he's it's a lot more in depth and you feel bad for Nedry. You feel bad for what he's going through because of Hammond. You don't get that. that in the, yeah, that's, in the, that's in the movie, fine. It's like he got what he deserved. Exactly, and yes. that was the whole point we're, of it. We're so. talking about the movie, though. I'm right. Well, what I was saying was, I feel that that's interesting, and they should have included more of that. That was my point. Is in watching that and knowing those facts, I see little hints here and there where they did what, stuff like that. Well, but they, it would have been. What are you going to cut? What are you no, going to cut? You're to not. Add the scene? You're not. I get that. What I. It's just a point. That's all I'm saying. I think it's an interesting fact I, that would have been interesting in the movie if they were able to do it, but they're not. He, the thing is, though, is he doesn't need to be sympathetic, you know, because you want to you want to be happy that he's dead, so that when when Hammond makes the the face turn at the end. You know, he feels like he's made the mistake. He realizes all the, the, the problems that he's caused. And now he redeems himself because he gets his fan, you know, he gets his grandkids out of there. He gets all the scientists that he, out of there, you know, and he feels remorseful. But at the same time, he's like, OK, I'm, you know, I'm washing my hands of this. Right. Exactly. So now now he's now you don't have to hate him anymore. So Nedry was the person you're supposed to hate. He's gone now. And, oh, well. Yeah. But I do think that Hammond, I mean, I think it's you're supposed to be the antagonist is supposed to be the the dinosaurs, but it's Hammond. It's Hammond. It's definitely Hammond. Because he puts he puts all those people in danger. They're all telling him this is not a good idea. And he goes through with it anyway. And then even when his grand yeah, and then even when his grandkids are somewhere lost where all these dinosaurs are now roaming free, he's still thinking about the money. About the money. Yeah. That's what it boils down to with him. It's all about the money. Yeah. Were you going to say something? 
forgot what I was gonna say. Just skip my brain. Okay. Keep keep because Wu Wu is the only other e evil type character, oh, but you don't even really get a sense of him being evil. No. It's just like now that we know he's like the evil scientist. Yeah. What I was gonna say is in the beginning they don't all tell him it's a bad idea. They well, all in think the it, in, the in the very beginning they all think it's incredible. The only one who points out all of the potential problems with it is Goldblum. Yeah, Malcolm. Yeah. And Malcolm. Yeah. And maybe when they're having that meal, they're having the meal. But that's are they all sitting there at that point when they're talking about it? Because he says, Dr. Grant, you're supposed to be the one who defends me against these other people. Yes, it's all of them. That's it, all before that they go but, in. Well, that's right? before the T-Rex even. My point is that he's got Muldoon tells him not a good idea. He's got Arnold, you know, Sam Jackson, not a good idea. He's got um, the investors, little nervous, so we're going to send these people in. He's got Goldblum, not a good idea. And... No, at no point did Grant and Sattler say, oh, wow, this is a great idea. They were like, this is awesome. But then when Grant's sitting in the lab and he's holding the raptor, he's like, you bred a raptor? Like, what the fuck do you think you're doing? You know what I mean? Like, this is not a good idea. So it's like the only one who's like, this is a good idea is the lawyer because he wants to make money. So it's, again, another character chomped by the T-Rex. Awesome. Got oh, great scene. And that's a great line, too. He's like, the only one I got on my side is a blood-sucking lawyer. Right. Even then, when he's holding the raptor, him and, and Ellie are both so kind of mesmerized still by what they're seeing, like a kid in Disneyland for sure. the first time, that they're still willing to like, well, let's see. Right. Like these, there's a lot of money behind this. Like how his first question is, where are the adults and how do you have them contained? Right. And that's the first thing he wants to go see. Not because he's worried, because he's curious. Oh, because yeah, he's because yeah. he it, it would, you know, I mean Something he spent his entire life thinking would be impossible to actually study a living specimen of overnight. There's three of them. I still, I still think that he whole he's like trepidatious about the whole thing. Still, he's not. I'm fully with this. He's still like again. Once he hold I, it, it. Once he holds that raptor and he looks at that raptor and he's like a raptor, you know. Because then even like the thing that he held so dear becomes useless to him. And when they're sitting in the tree, he's got the raptor claw. He loves the raptors. And he's just like, oh, this is, you know. Even the conversation that he has with um, uh, Mondun or whatever uh, about, like, when he's talking about we had to start feeding them this way because they yes. were attacking the fences right. to find weaknesses. Even, like, you, like Grant as interested, you know, as he's a scientist. At the end of the day, he truly is, and he played a very good scientist, where they're so fascinated and curious about how and the why and seeing it actually in action, especially something that, like you said, they studied their whole life and they never thought would happen. But it doesn't change the fact that inside they're still a scientist. So he still has that bit that's popping out saying, there's... This is nature we're dealing with. You're playing God. You're literally attempting to well, play God here. In the beginning, when the, when they're on the helicopter with Ian Malcolm, they say they call him a mathematician, and he corrects them and says, "No, I'm a chaotician. 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 Yeah, I rewatched so this one. He, they, they're paleontologists. They study dinosaurs. He studies worst case scenarios. So the only thing he can see." is exactly what's about to unfold over the next two weeks. And he's kind of fucking like amazed by the fact that all of these other smart people don't see what he sees from the very beginning. Curse of being smart. Um, just, just more facts. King Kong was a big influence. It's part of the reason why that comment, Jeff, why they high in King Kong. Uh, Life Finds a Way was Goldblum, Goldblum's favorite line. 
uh, caused Lucas to start the prequels. Sean Connery was offered the role of Hammond, but again, he turned it down. This was all after Last Crusade, of course. Um, I don't even know. Oh, Gene, Jim Carrey for Ian Malcolm was one of them. There was a couple people up for um, Ellie too, and I, the, Julia Roberts was one. There was a lot of people like around that time that were big, but no, honestly, there was no one really that I heard about casting for anyone that I went, oh, okay, yeah. Even Harrison Ford, I was like, no, no, I would not have wanted to see him in this. So, was, was Spielberg unlike uh, like Scorsese likes his guys? Like Scorsese's got Pesci and De Niro and DiCaprio. Like those are his guys. Where Lucas, there are some people that he's worked like. Obviously, Harrison Ford he worked with numerous times because he did the Indiana Jones movies. But he hasn't worked with Harrison Ford since then. No, in anything not else. really. You know what I mean? So he he likes to get the right people for the roles. Yes, because. Spielberg's spectacle because like you're not going to the movie to see I want to go see Alan Grant you want to see the T-Rex running around so that's what that's the stars of the movie it's, or the yeah, dinosaurs it's supposed to be the focus so that's the why point. the special effects were so important because if if you can't if you can't make people believe then then what's the point you know what I mean like you want to believe that dinosaurs like you see Jaws like you, you could say the shark looks, looks fake but for it looks awesome oh yeah the shark looks awesome like, you know, like you believe that thing's going to come out of the water and eat you. Like yeah. you, you think that the Velociraptor is going to jump up on a table and slice your face off. You know what I mean? It's, With it's that, awesome. that clicking. Right. Love so that's that. why the, 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 the characters are great, you know, and they have to be great to make the movie work, but the dinosaurs are the attraction. Definitely. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so originally like this finished in 12 days ahead of schedule and, and was under budget. And originally this was actually written through the eyes of a child and he shopped around the screenplay through the eyes of a child and to like not to companies but to his like people that he that read it and no one liked it they all said they just didn't it's connect supposed with to it be through the eyes of alan grant right who's the book written through the eyes of i'm not i think it's sure. like a third person, like a third person. Yeah. yeah so it's like you kind of get everybody's perspective if I remember. Which correctly. is the smartest way to handle a book like yeah. this. When you have a book this big with dealing with that type of stuff, you're better off just having a third person perspective. But um, it, it apparently it being through the eyes of a child and the wonderment of a child wasn't working for the story. So when he switched it but kept the children, that was like a big thing. Another big thing was um, originally Tim, in the book, Tim is the big dinosaur expert and the hacker. And Lex is just a big dinosaur person. So they changed that where she wasn't a dinosaur person, but wasn't the hacker. And he was just the dinosaur person. And also he was older and she, no, actually he was exactly the age he was supposed to be. And she was supposed to be younger. She was younger in the book, but it didn't register right on film because how she'd be like six years old running around. Right. It wouldn't make sense. By the way, speaking of things that don't necessarily sit well in the PC climate of 2021, having the sister be the coolest idiot who has can't turn the... Has no problem turning the fucking flashlight on, but now when the T Rex is coming after us, she can't seem to figure. It, and she's the one who fucks it up for them in the beginning. <laughs> you know the whole "Oh, my stupid sister's the reason we almost died." That's how that kind of it plays out. No, yeah, is but that she, just me. No, but she's also a twelve-year-old girl, 12, 13 year old No, girl. I know. Like, I know. I think I'm making. I'm more making a rib than anything. But like, and fucking, honestly, if you have a T Rex coming at you, you try hitting that that bu find that button. I wanted to turn the light See, on, in, so in, don't don't play that game. I would have never turned the light on. In Grant's vehicle, though, it's Grant and Malcolm, and Grant says to Malcolm right away, "Freeze," because he can't see us. Or he doesn't say freeze, but he says, "Don't move," because he can't see us. And in the other car, there's lots of, you know, the, the lawyer gets out and runs to the bathroom. She's, mm -hmm. you know, he's fumbling around looking for something. She's fumbling around looking for something. They get the, the, the lamp on. They turn it on right away. And it's like, that's what attracts the T-Rex. And it's just, 
so like there wasn't like they were in their car going oh so i don't think it was like she's like oh she's an idiot because she's fumbling around i think it's just that's how they were it's reacting. fear yeah just, no but fear. even even the tim who's like the dinosaur kid who set his talent turn the light off turn the right. light off turn so he knew well he knew but he didn't but they're nine and twelve right. you know right. but still uh, so pa- they had paleontologists on set, Jack Horner and Robert ba- uh, Barker, Baker, something like that, to study the movement. Of- oh, I so said that's, they, we did the little thing. Yeah, the design artist running around. I think that's pretty much most of the notes. All right, yeah, so we'll take a quick break and then we're going to come back and give out our awards. What's up, guys? Jimmy from House of Havoc letting you know we want you guys to focus on you this fall with Stay Thirsty Co. That's right. We want you to shop the new back-to-school special on the website all September long, starting today, Labor Day. Going to get on there. You want to look fresh for school. If you're a college student at the bars, you want to talk to girls, you want to talk to guys, you want to look nice. You want to focus on yourself. On top of that great sale, on top of that great sale, promo code HAVOC, H-A-V-O-C, going to get you an additional 15% off at checkout. That's staythirsty.co, I believe. StayThirsty.co, StayThirsty.com. I'm not positive on that. StayThirstyCo at IG will get you to the website. Once again, that's the back-to-school sale all September long, starting today, Labor Day. Promo code HAVOC gets you an additional 15% off. What's up? And we're back here at The Rewind doing Jurassic Park, going over our personal awards now. We're going to start with Best Actor. Nominee's got to be Jeff Goldblum. For me, that's it. That's where it ends. I mean, you could say Dr. Alan Grant, Ham, Hammond. I mean, I think it's Goldblum. We talked last week when we were doing JoJo about facial acting. Uh-huh. Especially another thing we talk about a lot when we talk about this award is when people are acting to fucking green screens and softballs and shit. And that whole scene when they first see the dinosaurs and everything that he's got going on in his face before he even says a word, he's told the whole story. Every line we talk about when we do best quote is probably coming out of his mouth. So there's a great director's note actually with that scene. When Jeff Goldblum's in the car, Spielberg was sitting just below the car speaking to him. And in his documentary, which I don't know if you ever watched, it's really worth watching Spielberg's documentary. He talks about it and Goldblum talks about that he was sitting there and Spielberg was just saying, Okay, now now laugh. You like, you don't know what you're laughing about, but you're laughing. You're finding something funny. He's like, now you're amazed again. He's like, now you're kind of sad because this is a little concerning, but you're laughing again. You're happy. And that's how that scene was completely done. And then all of a sudden he was like, great, we got it. He just got up and walked away. And Goldblum was like, all right, great, we got it. <laughs> Which I think Goldblum's personality is a little bit like Ian Malcolm, too, from interviews I've seen. Goldblum's one of those guys who's always kind of doing a little Goldblum if he was a yeah. doctor. Like Goldblum, if you, you know, uh, yeah. can't fault him for it. No, it's He's per- kind of one of those works. guys in every role he does where it's just heightened versions of himself. See, I think for the Best Actor Award, I think you need to do an ensemble Best Actor because I don't think any... Goldblum's great because he's Goldblum. You know what I mean? But nobody wastes any of their time in this movie. Everybody like they're, everybody makes their minutes matter. Like even the little kid in the beginning plays his part right as this like snotty little kid. And then he gets the shit scared out of him. And now he's like, you know, oh, you're not a little brat anymore, are you? Like everybody has purpose. Every actor does well with their job. So I think for me, it's like the ensemble. Like the ensemble gets the, I get, I get the Goldblum pick because it's like the obvious pick, you know, because everybody loves Goldblum. He's like a cultural icon. 
But I think but he he delivers. Like I said, like almost every line we're about to go over when we do quotes comes out of his like faster. Like must, must go, go, must go faster. faster. No, I I, listen, I get I get the choice. For me though, I think it's everybody. That's did, fair. Everybody did such a great job that they all get recognition. See, I'd be okay with either option because, like, I do think Goldblum. If I have to pick one, I probably would pick Goldblum. But it's it's a toss up between him, Laura Dern, and Sam Neill. I, I think even the kids are phenomenal for being little kids in this environment. I mean, it's it's film sets are a lot. They're so good. They're they do exactly what you need them to do. They're annoying when they're supposed to be annoying. They're cute when they're supposed to be cute. And they give you exposition when you need exposition in that moment. You know? Yeah. So I, I do I, I kind of agree with Whiting in that. It's this is a hard one to pick just one. Yeah, because no but, no there's no wasted like even, like I said, like even you look at like like the like Dogson, you like just see him with this the briefcase and he's like looking around and he has like two lines in the whole movie but he delivers them the right way he does his job like everybody like puts their time in it was a team effort i'm okay i'm okay with it first time ever i think so this that's, is the first that's time ever. a first listen i'm just this is just one man giving his two cents opinion and it's fine it, i i'm okay with that i have no problems with everything you said i think if you had to pick one i think it's either everybody or goldblum like i don't think I mean, I'm not mad at the Goldblum. I don't think I would be okay with you telling me it was Laura Dern or it was Sam Neill. You but don't think you, Sam Neill, really? As the no, as the as the number one best actor in the movie, but most like best performance. I no, I don't think so. I, I mean, it's up there. I mean, if you want to tell me what Whitey just sold me on how the whole ensemble together, there's no everything he just said, I'll accept that. But if we're picking one guy to stand above the rest, I would argue with you that it's not Sam Neill. Here's the thing, like the scene where they go up to this, the sick triceratops and there's like that, that old guy sitting there with, you know, the mustache and the hat. Mm -hmm. And he just like, he puts his two little lines in like, oh, you know, we've been feeding her this. They've been eating the berries over here. And you're like, oh man, this guy's a smart park guy. Like as a kid, I was like, this guy, like he knows his shit, man. Look at this guy. He's like, you know, <laughs> be a dinosaur expert so or something. That's what I'm saying. Like, so again, everybody got their minutes in. And again, you want to say... Malcolm did the best. Like it's Jeff Goldblum. Like Jeff Goldblum in almost any movie he's in, he's the best thing in the movie. He is a scene. If we kept acting stats the way we kept sports stats, Jeff Goldblum's a Hall of Famer. Jeff Goldblum's like should be the Six Man Award, the, the Hollywood Six Man Award. Oh yeah, yeah, career best supporting actor. Because like, in he's phenomenal in Independence Day. Independence Day doesn't work without Jeff Goldblum, but it's Will Smith's movie. Like Independence no. Day was. Like, oh yeah. Someone's got to be Robin. Every great yeah. film needs a Dick Tracy. Yeah. Like like Will Smith. Oh, Dick movie. Grayson, rather. Sorry. Dick Forty and slip. Will Smith in, in Independence Day. I was like, I was like, it's a Fresh Prince. He's like kicking alien ass. Like, look at this guy. You know? And what is that goddamn smell? <laughs> I was like, it's another good one that's on the list. Oh, that's classic. that's one of my favorite films. <laughs> I um, love it. Moving on, best scene, worst scene. Uh, I don't know if there's necessarily a worst scene for me. Uh, nom my nominees for best scene, the whole Doctor Allen sunning the the little fat brat kid in the beginning in the desert with the and then it's not going to be the one in front but the one on the side <laughs> that comes and yeah wow. that scene kitchen with the the put for all everything from the pudding when they thought they were through through to her hacking through that whole kitchen scene up there when they first lay eyes on the dinosaur the the lawyer getting bitten off of the toilet with his pants around his ankles I mean, I think a great um, it's a sequence is from I'm sure actually you could even start even when they first see the dinosaurs, but from when they first see the dinosaurs, my feeling is when they first see the eggs 
that in the lab and they're like, well, how do we get off this thing? From that moment until the T-Rex, that whole entire thing, because the di that dinner conversation is just phenomenal. See, that's interesting because I was going to say, if there's a worst scene, the whole deal, like you're going through Pirates of the Caribbean at Disney World, like when they sit down and they're strapped in and mm -hmm. then they're acting like like impatient seven-year-olds trying to jack the roller coaster thing up and go see the the science room um the, yeah. you know the sign where they're doing the yeah. and shit that scene just irks the shit out of me like you're a grown-ass man you're a seasoned grizzled dr alan grant and you're trying to shake the thing up like like you're a seven-year-old who's not getting what he wanted so I, if there's a bad season scene, that scene irked the absolute shit out of me I last know, I, night watching i thought it. It, i thought it was perfect because i thought if I was a paleontologist or an archaeologist, which was something I heavily considered going into was archaeology. And I was seeing something that I thought my entire life I would never be able to see in front of me. And they just keep going past it when I'm like, no, no, I, I need to know how you did this. I need to see the science of this. I'd be doing the same thing. I'd be like slipping out of it and do whatever I had to do to get out of that thing. I'd be like, no, I don't care about the rest of your park. I don't care about your, your technology behind it. I want to know the science because that's what I do. I kind of get that. But at the same time, um, Hammond and InGen have been signing every fucking check you've gotten for the last three years. And I personally flew you out here for my thing. We're here for my thing, not for your thing. Well, you So sit on my ride because I've put every dollar in your wallet for the last three years in a time where people aren't really having deep pockets for paleontology research. Do my thing. You know, like that's I just playing devil's advocate here, both sides. Yeah, no. It's like a little childish where like, I don't want to do the thing that you're, you asked me to do that I agreed to come do because that shiny thing over there piqued well, my interest but my thing about that too is because like saying that devil's advocate i'm grant you brought me here to see these dinosaurs and to tell you if this is going to work and if it's worth it i don't give a shit about what your computer system is or how cool this is i want to see the dinosaurs and if they're going to kill and if they're not going to kill and what what the dangers and the potential is that we have here that's what you're asking me to come see it's not the ride i'm not here for the attraction that and that's that's kind of on Hammond because Hammond uh, brings them on as I want you to see my dinosaurs. Now I want you to see my ride and, and play on my attraction and let me play God to you where I control you like little ants. He's like, I want you to see my dinosaurs and tell me if this is a good idea. So in Grant, Ellie, and Malcolm's head, they're all going, Yeah, that that doesn't matter. That, see, that's I'm gonna argue with you on that. He's not asking them to tell them if it's a good idea. He's more like coercing them into just telling me that it's a good idea. Right, like, but it's under I don't the pre want you to tell me what you really think. I want you to tell me what I think. Right, but the pretenses given to Malcolm, Ellie, and Alan are, I want your opinion on this. Regardless of what his ulterior motives are, which we know, he says, I want your opinion on this. I hear you. I understand why you like it. It isn't like that whole deal with him holding the raptor is a cool scene. That's not the part that I'm having the issue I with. I understand. But, but specifically, it, specifically more for me, it's more about that dinner scene with that whole conversation about where he says, oh, only blood sucking Laura is on my side, where you start to hear all the issues that Malcolm has and the concerns that Ellie mentions and Alan even mentions. I think that is an integral scene in the movie. And I think it's one, it's very well done. And it's, I, it's one of my favorite scenes. And then you get the T-Rex the right after. I see for me. It's all about the T-Rex scene. It's got to be because the movie in itself is a spectacle. You, you, you know, like when I saw it in the theater in 1993, 
and that scene comes on from I would say from the time when you see the the, the you hear the, you hear the stomp and then the, the the water trickles, and then to the end of it when the when the when you get the the big wide shot of the of the big animatronic dinosaur roaring, that entire sequence is Spielberg at his absolute best and what he does better than anybody ever, which is spectacle. Because he makes you believe that all this glitz and glamour and everything else, like that's real. Because I don't care who you are, the first time you see that scene, if you've had no introduction to that scene, it's incredible. It blows your mind. So you kind of become, like after you rewatch the movie time after time, you become numb to it because it's like, oh, it's the T-Rex scene. It's cool, but I've seen it, whatever. But being in the theater... And the oohs and the ahs and the oh and like the people jumping and, you know, when the T-Rex crashes through the, like for them to build that giant T-Rex head to smash through a Ford, the roof of a Ford Explorer back in 1993 and have you believe that that dinosaur is attacking that car? Unreal. Like just so, like I said, it's Spielberg at his finest, like what he does better than anybody because in all of his movies, you go to the movie for the spectacle. Maybe not Schindler's List. Schindler's List is like, you know, it's very somber and whatever, but. There's no spectacle. Schindler's no. List. <laughs> Schindler's List is like, that's a one and done for me. Phenomenal movie. Like, changed me as a person because my family went through that. So like, very. But Never seen it. What? Oh, Never it's, seen it. It's... Here, here's the thing. For me, it hits home very hard because my entire family was wiped out by the Nazis. Like my, my grandfather, my great grandfather walked into my grandfather's room and said, pack your shit. We're leaving. Like now. Didn't tell him where they were going, and he found out that they were coming to America when he was coming on a boat and saw the Statue of Liberty. So when I watch Schindler's List, it's like jarring because it's like my family went through that. Like they were burned in the ovens and shot for no reason. And so again, I saw Schindler's List. It's an amazing fucking movie. Like it's, but it's like for me, it hit home so hard. Never again. Jurassic Park, on the other hand, I watched that shit like fucking. <laughs> Schindler's List is going to wind up being one that I wind up having to watch for this podcast one of these days. 100%. Because I guarantee like, it's I've already, I've already seen at least two or three movies that were first timers that we did. It's, I mean, again, like you could take it for what you want to take it for, but it, for my purposes, like, oh my God. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand yeah. that. As a well, filmmaker, I, it's held at such a high regard just yeah. because. So it's, it's, I mean, the fact that he did these, like, because you look at his career, Spielberg's the greatest of all time. I don't care what anybody says. You make Jaws, E.T., Jurassic Park, like you're already like the greatest that ever lived. Like you could do the shittiest movies ever after those three movies. And then you still got Indiana Jones, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Schindler's List. I mean, on and on and on and on. Um, what did he do? You would know this. Wasn't he doing something that came out like, or was it Schindler's List? Or was there something that came out? What came out right before this? No, Schindler's List came out right after No, this. I know. What? Was he did weren't didn't it two movies come out he one had, and then Jurassic had, Park came out right after it and it well, was Hook, like two Hook, home I, runs I, in a row. I think Hook was what he did before. Hook that. was eighty nine. No, ninety one. Ninety one. Sorry, you're 91. right. Ninety one. Only reason I know that is because that was my birthday party in nineteen ninety one. We went to McDonald's. Everybody got a happy meal. And I was negative two years old. It, it definitely was Hook because <laughs> Tim, the kid who played Tim, auditioned for the little boy in Hook, and he was too young for that. Yeah. But Spielberg turned around and said, don't worry, I have something else for you. Right. And it was this. Yeah, so it, was, it definitely was Hook. The kid from Dick Tracy was the kid in, in Hook. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I forget what his name is. Yeah, they said they loved him. Charlie something. I don't even remember. So, but the- so you said for you, it's Jurassic Park, it's all about the T-Rex. Well, now, again, because... That 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 was the movie of the summer, like the hype for that movie. Like I, you guys weren't around for it. McDonald's had a promotion for it. Pepsi had a promo. I mean, I, I mean, maybe not Pepsi, but there was so like it was everywhere you went. It was like Jurassic Park fever that summer. 
and it came out like June 11th and I didn't see it till July. Like I had to wait until school was done. My mom was like, you got to do well in school and all this stuff. Then I'll take you to go see Jurassic Park. So all my friends had seen it and I was like, I threatened to kick the shit out of anybody who told me what happened. <laughs> so, and I was going to that movie to see that T-Rex scene. Cause like it was in the trailers. It was like, you know, like all the commercials was like the T-Rex roaring. So you wanted to see that scene. So this is probably different for me. I'm assuming because of the debt, you know, there's a 10 year generational gap between us. Sure. So Lost World, Jurassic Park 1, 9395. No, 9397. 9397. Lost World was 97. So 97. So Lost World, another one I can't remember the first time I saw it. It's in that area. Jurassic Park 3, I remember seeing the movie theater. That came around like 03, 01. Yeah, 01. So that one I remember seeing in the movie theater. So for Lost World and Jurassic Park 1, I'd seen them a million times. Probably burnt out VHS tapes yeah. on both of them. For me, Jurassic Park's Velociraptors. Oh, sure. So yeah. kitchen scene? Nothing on the kitchen scene? Not, not, I, that's not, I'm just saying for me personally, you asked me what my favorite scene is. It's, it's the T-Rex scene because the T-Rex is the star of the show for me. You know what I mean? As a kid... There was, uh, I don't know if you guys remember Caldors. Caldors was like a... Yeah, you know, okay. roughly. All right. So Caldors was like a Kmart, more Target, whatever. And it was like May, like Memorial Day weekend or something like that, going into Caldors and coming around the corner. And there was this big box with this fucking T-Rex in it. And I'm like, oh, I want that T-Rex toy. You ever been to Universal? Yeah. Oh. I, see, here's the thing, though. I was in Universal when it first opened, like 1990, 91, somewhere in that neighborhood. Oh, so you didn't, you wouldn't have Never the ride. Went to Jurassic Park. Okay, so I will say as a kid that Jurassic Park ride one is just it's a was a great ride because you just felt like oh my god I'm I'm seeing the dinosaurs like you would actually see them if it was real. But that giraffe that the T Rex when it pops out at that drop, I mean you scream yeah. like as a kid like so I kind of agree with you there like the T Rex scene just holds. It, it's so good. It's from the moment it starts where they're just sitting there in the car bored and Hammond's like, oh my God, like this is just a disaster. They have the storm coming. It's like right. all of those factors. And then that moment when they hear like you have the, the shaking and the lawyer is like, Maybe it's the power trying to kick back on, you know. <laughs> and how and how iconic is that shot of the cup with the water shaking? Like it's oh like so f- that's the same thing as with the the green jello. Yeah, you know the, when the, you think yeah, of the green jello like when when the, they're yeah. sitting there eating with the. Or how about like there's like the painted raptor on the wall and then and then, and then they're behind turns, it. Like, amazing, like just so so. so or even for the me, eye coming down to the right. The right. Door. For me, well, there's so many great shots. For me, Jurassic Park, when I think of it, like Jurassic Park 1, this movie, the three scenes that are always are going to come to mind. Not that whole T-Rex deal necessarily, but that biting the lawyer off of the toilet. Gotcha. The whole kitchen deal that I've been preaching about. And fucking dumb Timmy getting electrocuted off the fence. <laughs> oh, that's a great scene. I mean, and I think oh. it would have added more to the movie if he fucking died. Hot take alert. Hashtag hot take alert. If he would have died right then and there, I think it would have added a lot to the movie. Can we talk about the continuity issue, though? Is that when he's eating the sweets, his hair is all crazy because he just got electrocuted. Yes. And then when he goes yes. into the kitchen, it's normal. Oh, that drove There's me crazy. There's a few continuity issues in, the, in, the, in that. That was the one that jumped out the, the most. The whole fence though. jumping scene, I noticed a couple. I can't think of them now because it's a little bullshit. Here's what I'll tell you. Like when you're editing, like when you're sitting there and you're actually editing, it's like you're looking at the same thing over and over and over and over. Yeah. So you miss little minute things and then you'll like put it all together and you're like, oh, this looks great. And then you're like, what the 
But you know, it, it's you, also it's funny. even worse though because you, I know how that happened. That yeah. that happened. That that was definitely filmed on different days. Yep. And the editor got the film and said, "You've got to be kidding me! Right. His hair is not the same. Right. It is what it is. Right. It's in the film now." Different film, but to an extent, there are certain things I think, especially in movies that are made for kids, where they just are aware of it and don't give a fuck. So, yeah, like, like specifically Mighty Ducks two, but any of them. Yeah. You could, for example, Charlie is a right-handed shooter. When there are scenes where the hockey is going on in the background and the foreground is like Bombay on the bench or whatever, you'll see somebody in a number 96 jersey who's supposed to be Charlie lefty. with the lefty. Every single one of them. You'll also see a shot where Charlie's on the bench and then in the background, number 96 is out on the ice. And they're just, th- what night, our, our, our demo here is 7 to 14. They're not going to notice that, you know? Of course not. I, so I, it's I, little I, stuff like that, too. I didn't even know that until you said it. I mean, something I yeah, was looking well, for. Yeah, I know because D2 is on my list to do, and yeah. it, I've done the research for it. Already. I haven't I haven't seen Mighty Ducks 2 probably since I was in junior high school. Uh, I, dude, I can't, yeah, I can't go a calendar year without watching the Mighty Ducks movies. <laughs> I mean, I've seen the first one a bunch. She probably hates them as a result. Really? You watch them that much? I, I, she watches them all the time. If we've Quack. been together four years, I, I've seen <laughs> each one of them. I've watched with her at least two or three times. Like that it. movie was humongous too like there's certain movies from when i was a kid that like they were a big big deal like jurassic park is like one of the top ones because like it's like i said universally well liked. well for you i would imagine jurassic park jaws alien well those are my favorite movies but like going like my the experience of going to a movie theater 1989 by far will never be beaten because that summer you had ghostbusters 2 Batman, the original Batman, 1989. Michael Keaton, right? Yep. Uh, Back to the Future 2. Um, and uh, there's a big one I'm forgetting. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah, Last Crusade. So, and and like you had other great movies come out that year. Oh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So those five movies that I went and saw that summer, they were like five excellent, like we had them on VHS at the house. We used to watch them a lot. I mean, like that summer was just, will never be beaten. But this movie in particular that summer, I mean, I think I saw Jurassic Park in the theater like four times because it was like, oh, you haven't seen it yet. And you would just go every time because it's like you want to go see whatever you missed the first time. I like that's the one thing I've missed the most about COVID is going going to the theater and seeing Oh, we all miss it, man. That's the worst. Dude, They're open now. but I know. used to go almost weekly and now I, you know, I don't go as much as I would like to. So you guys are set on the T-Rex. I'm saying I've said my piece. Um, quotes. Your people were so worried about whether they could do it, they never stopped to think if they should, which I think is the number one line from this movie. It is in the opening crawl for this pod, which I feel like as a rule, if we do a movie where the line is on our opening or closing crawl, it's automatically in the finals. I right? mean, that's I fair. Mean, yeah, sure. So, I, I mean, mean I'm sure you have some written down. So I hit do. me with the ones okay. you have written down. Well, that was one of them, but I have to read that whole quote because that whole quote actually is so fantastic. And I copied it. It says, um, I'll tell you the problem with the scientific, the scientific power that you're using here. If you don't require any discipline to obtain it, you read, you didn't, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It didn't require any discipline to obtain it. You read what others had done and you look, you took the next steps. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourself, so you don't take responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now, and like it keeps going because he gets cut mm-hmm. off by Hammond, and then the line comes in 
but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. And I think that entire, like, because Hammond's line is like two words, so that's why I didn't even put it. But it's so powerful because, one, you could see how frustrated he is in that moment of being like, how is no one seeing what I'm seeing here? And that he's obviously the chaos theory, but that idea of like you didn't do the work to obtain this you took the knowledge of others which is science i mean we walk on the footsteps of others that came before us to do better than them so it's a weird thing that a scientist is saying something like that and saying you didn't do the work and you don't have the privilege of using this genetic dna because others came before you and i like it because it's like a double layered thing where it's like he's saying that but he's also saying you don't know the power you're wielding. You don't know what these genetics mean. So, well, obviously there's the whole thing where he believed nature selected them to be extinct. Yes. And that was the end of that, which is also a great quote. But he, where in a, in a part of the movie and in a stage in this journey that these people are on, everyone sees it as a great breakthrough and a huge success. And Dr. Malcolm is there looking at it as an incredibly irresponsible use of resources. Right. That's why I think it's such a great line because he says that in that. And it's just, it's so interesting. But that was one, like, that was one big line. But I also had, uh, yes, John, if Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. Great line. God creates dinosaurs. Dinosa- I'm sorry. God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. And then Laura Dern comes in. Dinosaurs eat man. Women inherit the earth. I That's one of my favorite lines in the entire film, too, because it's just like, again, Malcolm saying what he's thinking and Laura Dern just coming in with a Laura little Laura Dern multiple times. Pro-feminism. Oh, she has another great line, too, where it's... um. She's like... I have it. Worry about the sexism. So, all right, go ahead. Uh, look, we can discuss sexism in survival situations when I get back. Yeah. Another great line. Because all Hammond says, he's like, well, I'm a... And you're a... And no, she's he like, goes, really? well, I'm the only other... Uh, yeah, that's yeah. what it's, it's, she, he's inferencing. Well, I'm a man and you're a woman. She's like, yeah. you can't walk, sir. Like, I'm about to run from raptors. But that's a great one. The must go faster. Dogson, Dogson, we've got Dogson here. Nobody cares. Nice hat. What are you trying to look like? A secret agent? Um, yeah, I'm always looking. I'm always on that lookout for the next future Mrs. Alcom, Mrs. Malcolm. T-Rex doesn't want to be fed. He wants to hunt. Can't just suppress 50, 65 million years of gut instinct, which I think is another great line from Alan Grant about, like, what the hell are we doing? And then uh, the Laura Dern, you, you never had control of this. It was always an illusion, that whole line she has is great too i don't think that's top i just wrote down because it's just it's a really good line from her and it's like that moment of realization that she was so in his illusion and now he tells her this whole story about like oh i didn't want to be an illusion she's like i was wrapped up in your illusion like our our family and our loved ones are dying in your illusion you've also got life finds a way Life Finds a Way is another great one, too. How, how Are you trying to tell me that two female dinosaurs are going to somehow find a way to appropriate? It's like, what I'm trying to tell you is Life Finds a Way. Yeah, which is a great, great line. I think those are all of them. I mean, drawing a blank I got on two, any other possible Two short quotes. ones. Which super ones? short ones. Uh, just when Muldoon's in the bush and they're being hunted by the raptors and he's got the one in his sights and he thinks he's got it and then... Pops out and he looks over. He's like, clever girl. Because it's two words that have so much meaning in it. Like, you got me, you motherfucker. <laughs> like, that's what he was saying. Like, you win. Like, it was just, he he had given up. 
And not for any other reason. I love Samuel Jackson going, hold on to your butts. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, I <laughs> almost like, wrote that down too. Like, I love it. It's just because it's, it's, it's a double entendre because he means like, watch yourself and hold on to your butts. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, just, and the two and short dude, and sweet lines, but they the, stuck with me forever. If there was, if we didn't allow like a line for like just best single panel shot, it's the, the burning fucking filter of the, of the Newport in his mouth for like two seconds or whatever when he's trying to figure out what the fuck's going on and it's just just the filter like we're right. we're at the point now where he's so stressed out he's smoking plastic well doesn't he like he puts the one out and as he puts putting the one out he's grabbing another one yeah he he like, yeah, might have done that he almost never has a cigarette in his hand or in his mouth i right. think there might be one time we see him without a lit cigarette right. in his vicinity i think even when he's going to when he goes to die he lights a cigarette yeah like yeah, he, yeah it's 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 so great but think about think about being like if you were a smoker or used to be a smoker like yeah i get that yeah i get that like it's also like at the time like people who smoked 25 years ago 20 30 years ago people who worked just i mean you still see it now just no nowhere near the amount of people smoke smoke through work like they would smoke while they work you see painters now still will paint and smoke at the same time. And as soon as one goes out, they light the next one. If they're working, they're smoking. Oh, yeah. And a lot more people operated at that point 30 years ago. So that's another thing you don't see as much. But I think Sam Jackson's amazing leading to the next award. Are we good on quotes? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, did we agree that it's... I mean, I think could. I think it's definitely Should the... Um, Should could. Should could. Yeah. Should could you could just say yeah. should could should could sure. I know. didn't hear what you were saying. I kept saying should could. Um, That's what I wrote. Should slash could. <laughs> <laughs> the heat check award. Now this one's tough because there's a lot of people who I think qualify who, under normal circumstances, you would argue don't. I think Sam Jackson qualifies. I think Wayne Knight qualifies. I think Doxon qualifies. He definitely qualifies. Obviously, he's only in it for for One a half scene. a scene. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say Sam Donald. Uh, Sam Donald. The Sam Jackson. His Doctor Arnold is his name in the movie. Uh, I think it's B D Wong. B D Wong also qualifies. He's in it he's for only two in it for minutes. He's got it's hard to see. Like if Sam Jackson was in maybe two or three scenes less, I think he would be the front runner here. Mm-hmm. I think Nedry's got too much screen time to be in that in that category. I think both him and you'd think so, right? But a quarter into the movie, he's dead. No, Less than halfway through true. the movie, he's dead. But I'm saying, in in yeah. if you look at Grant and Grant and Ellie, probably have the most time, right? Sattler and and, Grant and the kids and the kids, they probably have the most time. And then Malcolm's probably right up there with them. And then Hammond, I would put yeah. And then Nedry, I think that's the pecking order of the most screen time. And then I think everybody underneath that would qualify. Pretty much. Like Dogson, not, you can't really say Dog. Like Dogson's there for two seconds, made the most of his So here's the thing. He makes the most of his shot, but he almost doesn't even deliver a line. So I think he's out. I think yeah. BD Wong is a serious contender. I don't have a problem with giving see, it to him. BD Wong's like not enough screen time and not, not enough to do. Like, see, my friends He's more are, just like see, expl explanation with him. I think it is pivotal though because he's so pissy and standoffish and confident about these animals aren't going to reproduce. For that to be the whole big plot fucking twist at the yeah. end of the movie is that they figured it out. I got you. You know. So what I'm I would thinking? argue that that's fair enough because it's about being pivotal, right? I mean, like yes. like we said, everybody in this movie 
delivers good screen time. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about he had one scene, but it was really good. It, it's like a pivotal scene. So I could hear your argument that B.D. Wong isn't super pivotal. Well, I my feeling about B.D. Wong, though, is I, well, first off, I have a little bit of bias because I just love B.D. Wong and everything he's in. SVU. SVU listen, and every, Oz. This Anyone listening to this, this point forward already knows that you love SVU love just SVU. from hearing how much you love B.D. Wong in this movie. I, They've yeah, all figured it out. Well, it's not just that. It's also he's a big, big part of Oz. Never Oz seen is well, it's, it's a tough watch, but it's phenomenal. Scary shit you ever seen. It, it's, really? I've had friends not who great. have had family members in jail who cannot watch it. It's a, it's graphic. I mean, if you like, if you like seeing like dudes getting, you know, plowed, then sure, awesome. Like that's not all it I is. I know, I know, but when I'm you like, have J, do you have J.K. Simmons, Christopher no, Maloney? No, listen, listen. It's a well-made, well-done TV show. But when you're like 16 and you're watching that, it's like this is not cool. Oh, I watched it in college, but yeah. it, you know what it is. I, I think for it's me garbage. with Oz is that. Um, it was one of HBO's first like oh, yeah. big shows. Oh, it's like a that. great show. Edie Falco's on it. You know, oh yeah, Edie Falco. Oh my god, yeah, I forgot good. about Edie Falco. It's a good. It's listen, so good. There's a lot of great people on that show, and it's a good show. But I just scared Dean me. Dean Winters. Yeah, I mean, I like Dean I, 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 I probably should give it another shot. You should. You especially being older yeah. and just and understanding what's like, like what life is really about. Now. Yeah, and honestly, Christopher Maloney in that, mm -hmm. and him. B.D. Wan, J.K. Simmons, and um, Dean Winters, who's Mayhem, the commercial Mayhem. Yeah. yeah. He, that, the, them are, they are so good. And then when I watched the first, if you watch the first season of SVU, that was filming at the same time um. as Oz. So that's why during that season, Maloney's a little off and so is Dean Winters because they were doing Oz. He ended up leaving Oz. Uh, SVU, Dean Winters and did finish Oz and Maloney figured it out doing gotcha. both because they filmed in New York. But um, I I really do love B.D. Wong as an actor and I he's so young in this and this was 93. This is even before SVU and this is during Oz probably. Yeah. He may have not even been on Oz at this point. Eh, no, he probably was. He was what? on pretty much from the beginning. But um, I just love his, he gives me the sassy gay scientist that I always wanted. So I just love it. What about Maldoon? I was, yeah, I was I gonna bring he's only in five to seven scenes. I was going to bring Maldoon up because his impact, like for instance, when they first come up to the T-Rex, you know, when they don't see him, the goat comes up and they're just sitting there and nobody comes out. And they're all talking and it's Nedry and Hammond and, and Arnold and they're all arguing with each other. And he's like, quiet, quiet. And it's very much like it gives you that Quint from Jaws vibe. So that's why I like his character because he's, you know, very careful with the Raptors. He's like very careful about the security and the safety of everyone. You know, like even the beginning when he's shoot her, you know, when he's like holding on to the guy and trying to get him out. I mean, he's just, he's in charge and he's, I don't know. I like, I like his character a lot. From the very beginning, he comes out of the, he says they should all be killed. Yep. He makes the ultimate squeeze play to allow Ellie to go get the power back on. Mm -hmm. So he kind of lays down. He's the only life that dies that dies in move like in terms of moving forward. Everyone else sacrifices himself. Yeah, and he knows it. He know, he knows. He knows he's he not going to get him. But I, you also believe in his eyes when he pulls the fucking stock back, and he's like, "Oh, I might get through this." Oh, he, can we not talk even about that. that for it's a like you motherfuckers. I I feel responsible for bringing you here and right. and overseeing you. And I've from the beginning thought a bullet should go in your head, and now I'm going to fucking do it, or I'm going to die trying. Right. I'm sorry. If you're staring at a raptor or you know you're walking into a raptor den, why in God's name is that thing not already done? You can still shoot well, with it under your arm. I don't if you're it's, 
I was thinking that too with him pulling the, the bump stop the distance, back. The distance of where the, the Raptor was in relation to him because he's holding it for no. close quarter combat, but then he, when he... I know, you also got to realize that's a shotgun. It's not a rifle. So you, yeah. the, you need the bump stock because if you don't have it, the gun's going to go like this. Yeah, the, the physics of the gun. I know, but it's And it's also like, cinematic, dramatic, it's cinematography, sorry. dramatic well, cinematography. One little issue I have with it, along with that not a single Like, if scientist. we're going to bring realism up with the bump stock of the incendiary shotgun that he's going to shoot at fucking velociraptors on a par island park that we're going to charge 10 grand a ticket to, then I got a problem we're with gonna you. We're going to have a coupon day, don't worry. Um... <laughs> <laughs> No, my only other issue that I really had with it was the fact that, I mean, I know it's a movie, but not a single scientist thought about the fact that amphibian and reptile DNA, there is possibility of... She, she brought this that. up last night. My argument about this is that not every amphibian changes sex to no. adapt. It's a small subsection of West African frogs, according to the movie, which probably isn't scientifically true. But not every amphibian does it. It's a small subsection of amphibians. So my argument was, no matter how smart you are, you've been looking at this missing code in the DNA chain for so long and trying to figure... Once you plugged in amphibian DNA and it fucking worked, you were probably so ready to figure, like, let's get this thing going now, that you never stopped to think, oh, there's probably a point zero one two three percent chance that the... DNA and some amphibians can change sex. Like that's my argument about it without getting too. You know what I'm thinking though now too, as I think about it, cause I, I watched it last night with you and I watched it again this morning cause I was working on stuff and I was like, I might as well just throw it on just in case I miss something. And watching BD Wan, part of me feels that he knew. Well, think you know? about being the scientist that you're, you're gonna be the scientist or one of the scientists that works on the team that's gonna bring back the dinosaurs. There's gotta be some sort of ego involved where you're like, ah, fuck it. Uh, listen, dinosaurs, you know what I it's, mean? Like, it's like the, the, science, the paleontologist version of walking on fucking water. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But I do, actually, now I'm thinking about it, I think- The God Wan, complex that you have that's, to have. That's the point I'm making. Yeah. It's like your, your ego takes over and you're like, you know, they're not going to give a fuck if they change sexes. All they're going to care about is like, look, here's a giant T-Rex. Isn't that awesome? You know, and everybody's going to be like, sure, it's awesome. So, well, that's what I'm thinking. I think now I think about BD1, I think probably knew the entire time that carries, this was massively possible. He carries himself very arrogantly. You know what I mean? Because you know, like Grant, who knows about dinosaurs, and he's like, hey, pff, you're just a guy who digs in the woods. Look, I brought back raptors. You know what I mean? Like that's the... Yeah, um, I dance. work with genetic DNA code. Right. You dig in the dirt, right. sir. Yeah. We're, we're not on the same level. Yeah, you're playing around in the dirt. So the only other thing that I would challenge, I mean, I get, I, I'm okay with it, giving it to Mold, Muldoon, Muldoon. No, I mean, Sam, Sam Jackson's the choice. I, think, I, I, I think like Sam giving Jackson's it to Sam choice. Jackson without even his like delivered lines, just with the stress, the physical acting and the, like the, the constant stress. Cause you see some shit goes on in the park and we cut back and it's a bunch of people who are fucking useless and Sam trying to hold it down for the right. whole squad. You Which, like, like, we've all been he, in that Sam territory. Jackson, in terms of story, in terms of pacing, in terms of making it interesting, carries every single scene that involves that control room, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Well, he's the most he, engaging. And, and I think that effectively makes him the only actor in the movie that carries an entire group of scenes single-handedly. There's no dinosaurs to, to draw spectacle off of. There's no Goldblum in there. There's no Sam Neill in there. Mm. Pretty most of those people have throwaway lines besides Hammond when he's in there with him in that control room. 
And you don't you don't see any of Arnold's interaction with any of the Raptors. All you see is his, his dead arm. arm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, great. And like Hammond, Hammond, and, well, Hammond is there with the the baby Vosser out there. But I think I think Arnold is the only character who has zero interaction with any of the dinosaurs because he's in the control room the entire time. He's truly the only guy there that, literally, if you told me you took him off of like a cancer research team and brought him there, it would like he he's the only guy that seems to have zero fucks to give about dinosaurs. Yeah, at all. No, he's just he's doing his job. I vote Sam Jackson. I agree. I mean, Muldoon is, gets my honorable mention, but I, I, I agree with Sam Jackson. I get what you're saying with B.D. Wong. I just... My feelings about, though, my, my only real issue with Sam Jackson is I really do think he's in it too much. See, it's close. It's definitely the, the close. Problem just, is, the problem is that we have a couple of choices where they're only in it for one or two scenes, and then a couple of choices where they're right on the border of being in it too you, much. You'd have to go back because he might his screen time might rival Nedry's screen time. And if it that's probably. The case, I think he's probably on the screen more than Nedry is. So then, I then, think Sam Jackson is on the screen a lot more than you guys think he is. No, I know he's like, on the screen he's a, lot. On a lot. Like yeah. he's he's on a lot more than Nedry. The and middle I think he, the middle part of that movie, he's one of the main characters in that middle part of the movie. I would argue that Mal, uh, Maldoon is a better candidate for the heat check based on time than Sam Jackson is. I don't think Sam Jackson should be on the list at all. I think he's phenomenal. If anything, it. this is another perfect example of the Rebel Wilson and Jojo Rabbit Award, where it's like, we don't know what to give you, but every time you're on the screen, you steal it. Have you seen Jojo Rabbit? Oh, every so every scene Rebel Wilson's in, she fucking steals the scene. But like, she's not she's in it too much to be the heat check. She's not out acting Taika. So we discussed maybe bringing up a new award for her, but that's fine. I mean, if if we're in agreement that he's in it too long, then Maldoon it is. Yeah, I think Maldoon, Maldoon is just because he carries so much weight in every single one of his scenes. Even like him driving that, he gets him out of there by driving that jeep. You know what I mean? Oh, that's a great scene too because he's like, "Get off the yeah. bloody shift." Yeah. <laughs> Very, that too, and she's like, "Shit, he's shit, so, he's yeah, shit." A- He's such like a practical character too. He's just like, well, you got raptors here. They're going to fucking kill you. You better kill them. If not, I told you. You know what I mean? Like that's, he's very practical. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too, because it's like in a way, if you think about it, Chris Pratt is in a, uh, a blend of um, Alan and Maldoon. Yes. He really is. He's that perfect. He's that gameskeeper that works with the Raptors, but he's also that. I'd say he's but, more, more Muldoon than he is. I would Grant. say so too, but I think that he has that. You know, he or has maybe a, more Malcolm. Like he has that chaos in him like, where think, with, something can go wrong. He's not like a scientist. He's like a. No, no. no he's, more he's just a, personality. He's a seal or something. Yeah. He's a former seal yeah, or something right. that becomes the animal trainer. No, I meant more my, just the characterization. Yeah. My problem with the Chris Pratt deal is in Jurassic Park, we respect these animals. You rarely see them, other than like when they're attacking towards the end, you don't see people just walk. They feed the velociraptors with the crane. They tie the goat through a fucking platform. People respect the animals. Right. Now all of a sudden we got Chris Pratt with some stupid whistle and there's he's in a gate unarmed, locked in there with three velociraptors. That's neither here nor there. We're not talking about that movie, but I do. One of the reasons that Jurassic Park will always be better than the Jurassic World movies to me is that the and like you said, fifteen minutes of screen time for dinosaurs total? I yeah, did. she yeah. actually said that. Here's the thing: Jurassic Park makes holds the ser- the gravity of the situation. Could have they could have ended Jurassic Park and not made a sequel, and I would have been happy with it because it, did, it was a movie that did not need a sequel. Uh, you know, Lost World was a lot of fun, but very heavily flawed. Jurassic Park three is is what it is. Jurassic World, great nostalgia trip, not a great movie, and then the sequel to that, you know, falls falls off also. So it's like you made Jurassic Park great, and then the sequels, eh, not so good. What do we have left? 
That's it. We're just fighting over the No, the awards. We don't have we only did Um Oh, the Kristen Stewart for bad acting. But I don't know if we really have that. I don't know if there's a bad actor award. I don't I'll know. give it to I'll give it to somebody. You want to give somebody a bad actor award? The guy who's who's doing the computer in the beginning, he's like, he's just there. Like there's nothing good about him. There's nothing bad. Like there's nothing real bad about him. His voice is kind of annoying. And again, I'm just being nitpicky. Again. I don't even remember him. Exactly. Yes. So there you go. Because everybody guy in chair. Hold on. Everyone else is memorable to me. But that guy, he's just like, hey, he's the computer. It's just annoying. Yeah, because even the kids, like I was gonna say maybe one of the kids, but uh, no, I, I no, think they, they're pretty they, they're good. They served their purpose. Yeah, they did really good in their roles. New one just for this movie. But favorite dinosaur. I'm going the Dilophosaurus. The Dilophosaurus? Dilophosaurus. Nice. It's a good choice. What the fuck? I mean, I am a Dilophosaurus, so <laughs> well, it's like the whenever I get mad to him, I'm like <laughs> it's my mom the other day. I was like, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, geez. I don't know. I mean, I'm such, I was always a bronchiosaurus girl. I loved um, the herbivores and stuff like that. Like I, I was a triceratops girl, but now they don't exist. So I thought like I can't pick that one. It's not that they didn't exist. It's just that there wasn't an actual triceratops. I, what they thought were triceratops was actually just like the smaller versions of a much bigger dinosaur. The ones that didn't grow that big. Yeah. So, you know, they're the, the little dinosaurs of that species what dinosaur was it i don't know the name of it which one the the, the thing the dinosaur that triceratops actually were oh like a cynoceratops or whatever the hell they call them or sure yeah that sure. sounds good that know. was super sound better than anything <laughs> yeah. uh, well here, here the only reason i know that is because uh the kid and i we watched the camp cretaceous on netflix it's like the jurassic park cartoon pretty solid yeah for a cartoon pretty solid i mean you know it's something that i could tolerate with her and it's also got that Jurassic Park feel to it. So it's like, it's cool. You know what's another great line? It's a veggie source. It's a veggie source. She's like, veggies. <laughs> uh, any nits to pick? Oh, wait, hold on. You didn't ask Whitey, your favorite t- t- dinosaur. But we all know. No, it's, what, what, T-Rex? T-Rex. It's got to be the T-Rex. Star of the show. You know what I mean? I mean, the Velociraptors is pretty badass. The though. Velociraptors are awesome, but the T-Rex is the star of the show for me. You know what we should do for this one, too, is favorite death scene. Because there's a couple. There's like two. No, there's more than two. Well, there's a couple. Yeah. See, like, the lawyer on the toilet. Classic. And then obviously I just said Dilophosaurus, so the Dilophosaurus attack. Then you got uh, Muldoon. When he gets back in the car and he, th- he thinks he's all right and he looks and the thing's like, hey, surprise, motherfucker. The Dilophosaurus. Oh, with Nedry. Yeah, shoots that's him, Shoots fantastic. him again for the third time with the acid and then eats him. Honestly, I might have to go with you on that because that entire sequence of him trying to throw the stick and be like, oh, this is why you're extinct. As, long, <laughs> as long as I could remember watching this movie, that was always the most satisfying death scene because it's like, my guy, right. get it together. First, you got the Jeep stuck. Well, no. First, you took the sign down that wound <laughs> up sending you on your own wrong path. Then you get the Jeep stuck and you can't figure out how to get it off of there. You need a tow cable to get that Jeep out of there? Right. Figure it out, dude. You're a big guy. Throw some body weight on the hood of the car and get the wheel back down and put it in reverse. And why are you going to the farthest tree? You slip and fall down the ravine on your way down there. You fucking drop the tow cable twice. You lose your glasses. You lose your glasses. And then you fall going back up the same thing that you fell going down. And you lost the thing that's going to get you your money. 
doesn't even realize that 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 never gets oh, addressed again. That's by the when way, he hits his you want to pick a knit that never gets dressed. Nope. No, it just gets buried in the mud. It just gets buried in the mud. Well, they're not going to survive anyway. It said it only had thirty six hours for it to survive. So, like, when he said, because that's why he was so it was so important for him to make the boat. Because if he doesn't yeah. make the boat, then the embryos don't survive. He can't get his money. Right. So I'm I'm gonna have to go with that one because it was always just satisfying kill because it's like you fucking deserved it, dude. How get it together? One of the the five mistakes I just laid out for you, one of them you correct and you're a rich man. Yeah. So I'm gonna go with that one. The Maldoon one's great. Uh, that Clever was, girl. That's probably my choice, but just because it's not only does he like say that, but then it's just like the like the the viciousness of the attack of the raptor pouncing on him, and you see like the claws like go down, and it's. Solid. Yeah, that's a good one too. I don't know. The death scenes are all really good in this. All the attacks are even good too. Oh, yeah. Like they're just so well done. You feel the fear, like your concern, even like knowing the outcome. Like when that class breaks through and the kids and they're holding oh, up and screaming. Yeah. I, I, how many times have I seen this I movie? Jumped. I was like, I concerned. jumped. I jumped last night watching. It. I was like really like watching it, going like, wow, this movie's fucking phenomenal. It's, it's just, just phenomenal. It's great. So movie. good. But I think that's I think another thing is like when they first go on the tour and things aren't going well, the first paddock they pull up to is the Dilophosaurus paddock and they're not there. And you hear the little voice, like the little voice, like if you're at the museum on the radio, say that if you get spat at with their acid, you're blind in this amount of time, paralyzed in this amount of time and dead in this amount of time. And then. You never think about it. We go through the end of the movie and that's how he winds up getting hit with the acid in the eye. If he never got attacked, I think that almost would have been better. If right. he ne- like if he just got the shoot shot in the eye, got the Jeep out of there, and then eventually was paralyzed and couldn't get to the boat, I think that would have been a better way to end him than having him get his throat ripped out. Maybe when they're like running when they're running back to the main part of Jurassic Park and they see him and maybe he's like hunched over on the steering wheel with the, the acid in his face. Yeah. That would be a that cool. But like the whole thing for me is like he's about to make it. Like I'm got like yeah. wiping it out of his eyes. I'm about to get there. Turning you can see red, the boat. sweating. And then eventually he just goes down like uh, 40 yards from the dock, you know. Right. And the dinos wouldn't eat him because he's not, you know, he's not prey anymore. He's just some dead piece of meat sitting there. They yeah. won't eat that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Nice. Good, good, uh, good retro on that one. Or retcon, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Well, hey. Go back in time. Tell us. Listen, Steve, I got ideas. Yep. So anything else? Oh, we gotta. We always go back at the end and and uh, double check the score. I'm keeping my nine one. Yeah, nine five. Holding nine five. holding pat on the nine five. nine five. I think I said nine three, and I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see what my nine three. All right. Well, this was fun. You have fun, Chris. Oh, I blast. Thanks. Gonna for come me. back and do some more. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah, Gage is going to be gone for a while, so we're going to do some more with some more guests. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm down for this. I like this. Yeah. For sure. So that was um, Jurassic Park. Keep up. Keep your uh, eyes on for next week. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the show, whatever movie it was about. Uh, this is a generic pre-recorded outro, but we hope you had fun. We sure do. Thanks for listening. See you next week. And the only prescription is more cowbell. I will not die sober! Get those fucking loose! That's all, folks.